Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. We're back again. The show has not been canceled yet, but that could be a measure of our good timing. No, that was bad timing. But we are talking about measuring today. That is our skill of the hour, moment for this podcast. I don't know. It seems very uncomfortable for some reason. Tanda, what what skill class is measuring? Measuring is skill class two and three seventeenths. That sounds right to me. What did you find in your research on measuring? One thing that I found that is really interesting that I'm not sure a lot of people know is that the U.S. has been on the metric system since 1959. And uh, when you tell people that, they're like, no, no, we're not. We're not on the metric system. But in 1959, the yard, which the foot and the inch and everything in our system is, uh, you know, derived from, was defined to be exactly 0.9144 meters by international agreement. And so we just have funny names for things because, you know, here in the States, we have a lot of things laying around the shop that are about 25.4 millimeters long. And that's kind of a mouthful, even if you say, you know, 25.4 mm's. So we just call it an inch. You know, it's kind of a shorthand for 25.4 millimeters. I, I got to say, I love M&M's, but I, I just don't eat them anymore. Oh, yeah. M&M's are about a centimeter. But they're pretty good. Well, they're very chocolatey, but they're actually designed to let you taste just enough chocolate so that you want to keep eating more and you never, ever get full. Oh, no. You don't get full, but the bag runs out if you only buy one bag at a time. If you buy them by the barrel, then then you have a problem. You mean one of those little barrels or, or like a, an actual barrel size? You know, like 55-gallon drum. Oh, no, no. I, I was talking about the kind that's the size of a beer stein. Have you seen those little M&M barrels that are that big? They're, that's a real oh. thing. Oh, no, I haven't. I mean, I've seen them in the bulk sections back when bulk sections were still open uh, before COVID, and uh, those are pretty good-sized bins. I don't, I don't know how to measure that. Maybe, maybe maybe Tom has more experience measuring barrels than me. But um, was So we're actually on metric and nobody knew it. Was, was, uh, was there anything additional or— Oh, no, I, I think that there's, you know, some underlying, uh, you know, just waiting for the rest of the world to say, uh, but humans have 10 fingers. Why would you divide everything up into eights? And, and you know, I think we're just waiting to say, because we saved these two fingers for you, the rest of the world, you know, sort of thing. I always thought it was because we used to have four fingers and that's when, you know, it was four fingers per hand, and then we grew the, the fifth one, and then they, they just never changed it, you know. But then, like, the progressive people are like, oh, no, we need to change it. Let's let's make a metric system. And the old people are like, no, we've always done it this way. Yeah, I mean, some people have four fingers, and some people have aft fingers, and all together we have the four and aft fingers, which adds up to a total of 11. I can't argue that logic. Tom? What did you find in your research on measuring? Uh, I want to talk about the greatest measurement of all time being 
well, time. A while back, I was 3D printing a mechanism called a Trebillion, and I was learning about clock mechanisms. Uh, the Trebillion is a tiny little thing that goes inside a mechanical watch. I forget who created it, but it's, it's beautiful. If you Google it, you'll see how tiny this thing is. But something I looked up is that quartz watches and how they function is, is pretty incredible. Now, they're not, you know, they're not as sexy as a mechanical watch, of course, but they use a synthetic piece of quartz. It's not, you know, something that they dig up out of the ground. They make a synthetic piece of quartz that they can actually tune to a proper frequency. And the frequency that they, they essentially tune them to is 32,600, I'm sorry, 32,768 hertz. Uh, hertz is basically times a minute. So this thing resonates at 32,768 times a minute, which is a high enough frequency that humans can't hear it. Otherwise, our watches would drive us nuts, although they probably do anyway, for different reasons. And yet, it's a low enough frequency that a very inexpensive mechanism can read it. It's also unique because it is a it's a power of 2, so it's 2 to the 15th, which means it can use a binary counter, which I know nothing about, but it... it uh, it's a very low-cost mechanism that can can hold incredibly accurate time. It, it sounds like this might be where the uh, that phrase comes from, that watches are freaky. Freaky? I don't follow. Yeah, you, you, you were talking about the frequency of the quartz? <laughs> yes. I, I think I, I lost him, Tanda. He he doesn't seem to he doesn't get it. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> no, that was that was a different kind of laugh. There's there's like a laugh that's like I'm lost, and uh, and there's a laugh that's uh, more of a that was really bad. Oh, so he was mocking yeah. me. I think it was. I think it was a laugh. I think it was mocking. <laughs> it was a uh, it was a laugh like I should have laughed harder earlier and I didn't, and now it's too late. <laughs> that's one of those uncomfortable laughs. Yeah. That's that's yeah, like one of those yeah. dinner party laughs when you like let one slip and then you don't know if anybody smelled it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, these dogs. So, PJ, what'd you find out? Well, I got to tell you, I started with the basics. I was trying to find who invented the tape measure. This may seem like a very simple thing since it was it was invented in the 1800s. But I found three different websites with three different people all listed as the inventor. So hmm. I decided I'm just not going to mention that, although I will mention that one of the guys was from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and I've always thought Sheboygan was a hilarious name. Because it is. So then I started looking into other areas of, let's say, length measurement. And I found a page that answered a ton of questions for me, which I thought was super interesting. Did you know that an inch is based on a thumb? I did not know that. Hmm. Obviously, a foot is based on a foot. But the yard is closely related to human pace. Or it's supposed to equal two cubits. Now, I've always wanted to know what the heck a cubit is. Because you hear it referred to in the Bible and, you know, all over the, you know, obscure passages. Cubits. A cubit is the measure of your from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. That is a cubit. And supposedly the cubit of wherever you happen to be living 
was measured by the king's measurement. So however long the king's elbow to his middle finger was, that was the cubit of your kingdom. So cubits were not standardized. Uh, however, they were in use. And uh, I don't know why we stopped using it. I think that's an awesome measurement system. Then we get to the mile. Uh, the mile comes from Roman times. It was originally called the mille passus, which is basically a thousand paces. And the Romans defined a pace as two steps because your feet would, uh, would wind up back to where they started. You take one step, then the other step, and it's, you know, you're back in your original position. That was like the interesting stuff that I found on measurement. I did look up more modern stuff like uh, measuring with lasers. And really the only thing that to mention is that laser measuring started in 1993. You know, this raises a question. Is the mile considered an imperial measurement or is it another classification altogether? Do we know this? It's a Roman measurement, uh, but I believe that, yes, I believe because we have imperial and we use miles here, it is considered an imperial measurement. Hmm. Because everybody that's on the metric system would measure in kilometers. Right, so is imperial just a catch-all for weird measurements that only the U.S. uses? Probably, but you know what? I, I think we need a new measurement. I want to start measuring thing in kilomiles. I agree. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, you know, well, how far away are you? About 10 kilomiles. Oh, and, and kilomiles aren't... Uh, a thousand miles? Aren't related to statute miles either. The, the U.S. Is, is two kilomiles across, and so you have to actually measure the U.S. and then divide it out. So it's close to a, a statute mile, but not, not actually. You know, now that I think about it, I, I think that maybe I was wrong. Maybe kilomile is the wrong way. Maybe murder mile. Murder mile would probably be, you know, it sounds better... <laughs> I like, like a murder of crows. Yeah. I like millimiles. I like it. Millimile? Yeah, I like going the other way, just a millimile. Is that a hundredth of a mile? No, that would be a thousandth of a mile. Well, if you uh, want to tie it to uh, the metric system, but I don't know if we want to do that. I don't think so. It, no, a millimile would be the number of millipedes it takes to lay out a mile. But are we using the standard millipede sides or giant millipedes? Uh. Every other millipede is a giant one and then a standard size. I feel like this would add too many digits to the your car's odometer. I don't think it'll work out. Yeah, but the most odometers are digital now, so it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, you can add lots of lots of extra digits at no extra cost. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're getting back to like the kilohertz. It's exponential to the second power, so I don't see why we can't just do that same thing with the measuring the millimiles, you know, it'd be like, you know, oh, I traveled 500 millimiles to the third power, you know. Simple. The, uh, you ever have an odometer not roll over when you wanted it to at just that right time? Like your car's coming up on 100,000 miles and it's at 99999 and 9 tenths. And I had an old truck and I was so excited that I actually was paying attention to see it roll over and it, the last digit got stuck halfway and so it wasn't like it like clicked over to 100,000 miles. It was like it was halfway to the one and it took like five miles for it to click on down. So then it was like 100,005 before the one actually clicked. It was very disappointing. <laughs> it's very anticlimactic. So you were just like driving in circles, just waiting for that thing, just going around the block over and over. 
Well, no, I was just driving down the road, but I wanted to see it click over and read, you know, like, like if I would have had a phone back then that had a camera on it, I could have taken a picture of it at 100,000 miles, but it never never actually displayed 100,000 miles. It was like halfway between the nine and the one until it was 105,000, and then it finally kind of, you know, woke up and clicked over. It was probably just sticky from not turning for nearly 100,000 miles. So the odometer on my Dodge Ram is digital. And I do remember that somewhere on my phone in the 36,000 pictures that I have, I took a picture when the odometer was at 123,456 miles. That's cool. Yeah, so I like that. That's pretty cool. And I think I might have taken it at some other interesting, like I might have taken it when it was all ones. Yeah, I, I catch them every once in a while, weird numbers, but. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Now this week I, uh, I caught PJ teasing some awesome dealer's corner deals on Instagram, and so I'm really eager to find out what you had come up this week. I hope you guys are strapped in because I have... I have a new classification of deal. It took me by surprise. This is going to be quite a story. This is the mother of God bargain. But before we get to the actual bargain, I got to tell you that this started last Monday. So the day before we recorded the last podcast, this whole thing started. I felt a disturbance in the junkosphere. And I don't often feel them, but this was very prominent. <laughs> Tom just seatbelted himself to his chair. <laughs> he has an actual seatbelt on the chair. I'm sorry, it was poor, poor comedic timing, but it took me a minute to find it. <laughs> I forgot he's on one of those little um, electronic chairs that, you know, you, you actually could. It's a handicap chair. Yeah. Just say it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so anyway. Um, Last week, last Monday, I had this feeling that all of a sudden I needed a Unisaw, a Delta Unisaw. I, I wasn't making anything with my table saw. I didn't have any projects where I needed it right then and there. Just all of a sudden I felt this feeling. And then I looked on Facebook Marketplace and one was there and it was 350 bucks was not in the best shape. It was missing some knobs. It was a little rough around the edges. It didn't have the extensions. I sent it to Tom because Tom has a Unisaw. And I said, what do you think about this? And he goes, ah, no way. It's missing the extensions. It's not worth it. And I'm, and plus it was 220 and I don't have 220 in the shop. So I was like, oh, well. Uh, and I, But I did message the guy. I told him, I said, I don't, I don't have 350, but if you, you're willing to let it go for 125, let me know. You know, just totally lowballing him. I said it was way, but I didn't expect him to accept it, but that's what I had. Then the next day, another one pops up, but the other one that popped up wasn't there the day before, even though it said it was available for four days. And this one happens to be, it looks almost identical, but it was a 120 volt version in like, I want to say mint condition. But all of the knobs were there, the extensions were there, the fence, the miter gauge, plus it had additional C-channel bolted to the sides and the back to make pretty much like an outfeed table and extend the, the rest of it. 
and then they had modified it. They drilled a hole in the side and put a four-inch port in to convert it for dust collection, which I found really interesting. This guy wanted $450, which, of course, I don't have. But remember, I'd felt it through the junkosphere that, you know, I needed a unisaw. So I figured, oh, well, the junkosphere will provide. And I started talking to this guy, and I said, would you be interested in a barter? And he goes, I don't know, what do you got? So I listed a bunch of things, and he's like, no, nah, I'm not interested in any of that. Well, then the next day, I saw this deal come up on Facebook Marketplace. All it said was, workshop tools, $200. And I looked through the pictures, and the first couple pictures were all crappy craftsman tools, like a 1980s radial arm saw, a jigsaw. It was like all stuff like, meh. But then I come to the back of a bandsaw that's green and the back of a green jointer. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, that looks like grizzly green to me. So I sent the guy a message and I said, how much do you want for the bandsaw and the jointer and what brand are they? He said, they're grizzly and I want $150. And at first I kind of looked at it and I'm like, that can't be right. Do you, do you mean 150 per tool or for both? He says, for both. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm looking at this and I'm going, a 14-inch grizzly bandsaw and a 6-inch grizzly jointer, ah, that's, I'm making a killing because everybody wants grizzly. They're super pricey, even used, and they go for way too much money at auction. So I'm trying to get more information out of the guy, but he's not really responding to me. Like, I'm getting a response every three hours. And basically, he, I said, I said, I'll take it. He goes, well, you can have it if you can come get it today. But you need to bring somebody with you because it's in a basement. you got to go through a Bilco door. Now, if you don't know what a Bilco door is, that's the door that's on the outside of the house that opens up. It's two doors that swing open like barn doors, and it goes directly into your basement. Normally, it's a short number of steps. I kept asking this guy if he could help me get this stuff out, and he wouldn't answer me. All he, all he said was, you need to bring someone. So I started calling around to everybody I knew that was like physically able to move something. And everybody was either said no, or they were busy, or they were out of state. So then I reached out to my neighbor, who I, I don't know very well. Not the neighbor that I talk about all the time, Bobby, but my neighbor Danny who I know him, but we don't really talk that much. And so I was a shot in the dark, and I said, would you mind riding an hour and a half with me to pick up some equipment out of some guy's basement? <laughs> and he said, uh, okay. <laughs> That's how it always starts. That's how it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, said, I said, you know, it, we shouldn't, shouldn't be that long, you know. And that's the last we saw of Danny. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so we drive down there. It, it it started off kind of weird. The guy was the guy was first off. I thought the guy was an old man based on how he was talking to me. We get there, and the guy looks like he's about fifty, like totally like he could be. He could was physically able to help us. You know why did why did I have to go through all this trouble to get somebody else? So then we go down into the basement, and I get a good look at the tools. Well, I was wrong. It was not a 14-inch grizzly bandsaw. It was an 18-inch grizzly bandsaw. 
and the jointer was an 8-inch jointer with a 6-foot bed. So, for $150, I was picking up three to $4,000 worth of grizzly tools. I was totally trying to hold it together and not lose my And at one point, the guy left the room, and it was just me and Danny, and I'm like, well, this just took an interesting turn. The main problem was when you jump in size, even though it doesn't sound like it, two inches for the jointer, four inches for the bandsaw, there is an exponential jump in weight. A normal bandsaw of, that's 14 inches is 140 pounds. That would have been no problem to get out of the Bilco door. The 18-inch bandsaw was closer to 500 pounds. We could not get proper purchase on it to actually, like we had it in the stairwell to go up, but the stairs were super steep, and I was at the, bo- I was at the top, two guys were at the bottom, and I just, I couldn't, it kept slipping out of my hands. Like I couldn't hold on to it because it was such a weird angle. So what we ended up having to do, I'm like, the guy's name was Pete. I said, Pete, we need some other way to get this thing up here. There's no, I can't hold on to it. It's too heavy. And I said, do you have anything we could make a ramp out of? And he looks around, he goes, well, I've got a full sheet of Baltic birch plywood. And I said, you mean you don't have anything more expensive than that that we could use? (laughs) (laughs) And he starts looking around, he goes, well, I got some cherry boards. So we put this piece of Baltic birch on the stairs. I I have a big, like, four-inch wide ratchet strap that's maybe, I don't know, 60 feet long. And we were able to get it around the casting for the bandsaw, and then I hooked it to my truck bumper and very gingerly pulled this thing up the ramp and managed to get it out into the yard. And I thought that was the hard part. But then we had to get it into the truck, which we did, but it, it, was, it was difficult. So then we go to get the jointer. Now, the bandsaw's weight was rather evenly distributed and it was narrow. But anybody that's ever seen a jointer knows it's completely, like, unbalanced from the get-go. There's no real good way to grab it. The, the base is pretty much empty except for the motor. All the weight's on the top, and it's like a giant, like an anchor, but upside down. So when I wrapped the, the toe strap around it, we wrapped it around the middle because that was like the safest thing to do. And then as soon as I start to edge forward in the truck, I hear the guys going crazy. So I stop, I go out and I look, and it had dug straight into the stairs. Because of the, the way the weight was distributed, it didn't go up the ramp. It just, just started trying to like go right into the earth. I'm like, okay, this is not going to work. We stood there for about 10 minutes discussing methods of like how to actually get this thing out of there. And it was just like there was a point like I was I was about five seconds away from saying, well, Pete, I, I guess I'm just taking one thing. I guess this is this isn't coming with me. But then all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute, I got a dolly. And he had one of those little furniture dollies, those little Harbor Fruge four wheel dollies that you get for like, I don't know, ten dollars or whatever. And so we had to practically get the jointer nearly vertical in order to fit this thing underneath. And then we got it on there, and it was seemed like it was going to work. But the problem was 
we didn't have enough ramp. The Baltic birch fell short for using the dolly. So then we had to use something else. So he found this eight foot long, about maybe two foot wide board of something. I don't know exactly what it was, some kind of plywood. And it had a hole the size of a doorknob in it at one end, which we didn't really pay attention to. We're like, ah, it's no big deal. And I started pulling very carefully. Then I stopped. Then I went back and looked. And I, I probably stopped about five times trying to get this thing up through this ramp because it was so narrow. I was really concerned it was going to fly off to one side. And it actually did start to go off to one side because it was unbalanced. So then Pete hands me a sledgehammer and I am hitting the board with a sledgehammer to realign it so that this thing doesn't go off to the side and then fall down the stairs on top of both of them. And I'm like, oh, good God. We managed to get it almost up to the crest, and then all of a sudden I hear this loud cracking sound, and I immediately stop the truck, and I go back outside, and I look to see what broke. So one of the wheels of the dolly went directly into the hole. And then when that happened, it couldn't advance, so then it snapped one side of the square of the dolly. So now it was broken. So, <laughs> so Pete's like, man, I didn't think that was going to happen. Jeez. <laughs> so I had a pry bar. I gave uh, Pete's like, here, give me that pry bar. So I give it to him, and he basically like smashes the hole and then pries the wheel out of it. And we were right at the top of the stairs. So rather than chancing it with the truck, I just started, the two guys started to pull and I started to ratchet the strap and we managed to get it up just enough so that we could just kind of crest over. And then I'd put the Baltic birch plywood down so we could just roll it right into the yard. I thought, ah, we're home free. We're home free. And my plan at that point was to just kind of tip it onto the, you know, the, the bandsaw was in the bed of the truck. I just wanted to tip the jointer onto the tailgate. And I figured that's the safest way to go. But the problem was it was wider than the tailgate. And tailgates have those steel straps that hold them up. So I'm like, oh, I mean, I could just take the straps off. Well, if you take the straps off, then the tailgate droops. And then, you know, whatever you put on there is just going to fall off. So I'm like, oh, well, that's not going to work. Pete comes up with this idea. Well, why don't we just pick the whole thing up and just put it on the tailgate on the base? Uh, I'm like, this this thing weighs like 600 pounds. There's, there's no way we're going to be able to do that. He goes, yeah, yeah, the three of us could do it. We could do it. I'm like, look, the only way we're ever going to be able to get this up that high is if we, we get it halfway first. Like we've got to get it off the ground first before we start lifting. There's no way we could lift it from the ground. We're not going to make it. So then we start getting wood and metal, folded up metal horses, and, st and we start like rocking it from one side to the other putting like things underneath it to like leverage it up and we got it about maybe three feet off the ground but the problem was the backyard was on a slope and as soon as we got it three feet up the whole thing just tilted to the left and fell back down <laughs> so <laughs> i'm like all right we need to be a little more careful we need like an extra thing to level this out so we managed to get it back up again we're holding it so it didn't fall I'm like, all right, is everybody ready? So there was, Danny was on one end, Pete was on the other end, and I was in the middle grabbing this middle casting that was jutting out. And so, all right, one, two, three, go. And we managed to lift it about a foot. 
And then all of a sudden, Danny goes, nope, nope, not happening. And then his side just goes straight down. <laughs> so, so then I'm like, okay, we're going to go back to my original plan, but we're going to modify it. We're going to tip this over onto the, the door, the gate, but we're going to do it at an angle. It doesn't have to be even. Part of the bed of the, of the jointer can just go into the truck and the other half could be sticking out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be even. And the guys are like, okay. So that's what we did. And that worked. You know, it, it was it was difficult, but we managed it. And I, I, I do think this thing is like 600 pounds. It was very, very heavy. So then I ratchet strapped it down and, you know, said our goodbyes to Pete and we went home. And now I should point out, I thought it was going to take 15 minutes to load the tools. It took us two hours. Two hours. And we were doing this with face masks on. Because, you know, Pete was like, you know, wear a mask. And, I, and you know, so I was like sweating. My, I, it was uh, uh, like I had, I, we, we didn't get back until midnight. And I was so sweaty, I had to take a shower to go to bed. Like that's how bad it was. This was, uh, this was like a nightmare and the best thing ever at the same time. <laughs> now we move on to the, so this is, that is the first part of the mother of God bargain. But there's a second part. The next day... I talked to the guy with the Unisaw, and I said, hey, I've got an 8-inch Grizzly jointer. Are you interested? He said, yeah, I am. He says, send me pictures. So I send him pictures. We go back and forth, and basically what it sounds like to me is he's willing to do an even trade. So I'm like, okay, I'll come down Saturday, you know, Saturday morning at 11. He's an hour away. I drive down there. Now, mind you, I hadn't removed the, – the thing is still strapped to the truck. I hadn't done anything except try to clean off. There was a little bit of surface rust on the bed from it sitting for five years. Uh, Pete had ordered both of these directly from Grizzly 10 years ago. He used them to do some cabinetry, and then they've been sitting for five years. And basically the reason he was getting rid of everything is because his wife said so. She said, get that stuff out of the basement. So I get down to – this guy with the Unisaw. It's a business, which he didn't bother to tell me. So we get down there. It's in a garage bay. I back the truck up. He helps me unload it. And then he says, all right, so what are we doing here? I said, well, what are you talking about? I'm trading you the jointer for the Unisaw. No, I told you I didn't want the, the jointer. What, what, what are you talking about? You we just had a whole conversation yesterday. You said you were willing to take the jointer. No, I don't want it. So at this point, the guy's father comes over. They're both working at this business. And the father, it actually turns out that the Unisaw is the father's saw. The father looks like he's in his 60s. The guy I'm talking to is like in his 30s, 40s. So then they start examining the jointer. And I'm like, look, the jointer is worth twice as much as what you're asking for the Unisaw. If you guys don't want to keep it, you could easily sell it for $800. Anybody would take it. And they're like, well, yeah, but does it work? Yeah, yeah it works. It, came, it was a single owner. It was sitting in a basement. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, the problem was it had a high amperage plug on it, and we couldn't plug it into a normal outlet. The other part of the confusion was I originally thought that it was 220 and it was actually 110. The bandsaw was 220. So there was this little little confusion, but they couldn't test it was the bottom line. And basically the father and the son 
were sitting there bickering for about 45 minutes over this jointer. And I said, look, I don't have cash to give you for this unisaw. So you either want the jointer or you don't. You know, the father's like, well, if you won't take a chance, you know, it's on you. And the son's like, yeah, all right, I'll take it. Like I'm putting him out by giving him something that's worth twice as much as what I'm taking. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Before I got down there, I had asked the guy, who I believe his name was Billy. I said, could you please take the extensions off of the saw so that it would be easier for me to load? So I get down there, and he took the rails and the fence off. The extensions were still on there. So I'm like, how do you not understand what extensions are? You know, the wings. So anyway, so then we had to take time to, to get that, to take those off. Well, then the entire thing was full of sawdust. And by full, I mean it had like 40 pounds of sawdust in it. So then we had to vacuum out all the sawdust. No, it's a, it, was, it was a whole thing. Anyway, that was the hidden flip deal. That's two new classifications. So I didn't have to... So basically, the Unisaw cost me $75 and, and some, some angst from dealing with morons. But you have a great story about that time that you pulled two grizzlies out of a guy's basement with a ratchet strap and a Harbor Freight dolly. That's true. But before that, I'd felt a disturbance in the junkosphere. And that disturbance was pure. So now I own a unisaw. Oh, the, the grizzly bandsaw did have uh, one tiny broken piece. The little, the little collar that holds the, the guide assembly onto that, uh, the bar that raises and lowers it. That was busted. I don't know how he broke it. But I did have to go on uh, Grizzly's website and order one. And there's the original part, which was discontinued. Then there was a version one replacement part, which was also discontinued. And then we have version two replacement part, which is made out of cast iron. The part that broke was made out of pop metal. So anyway. I was looking at Tom's face and I was trying to figure out what kind of face he was making. <laughs> and he was just, I thought he was going to say something and I'm waiting for him to say something, waiting for him to say something. And, uh, and then I realized that the face he was making was a, wait, there's more face. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's quite a story and quite a deal. And to come away with the, with that. That's a great, it is a great deal. The bandsaw. I have, uh, a grizzly stroke sander and their stuff is just massive. In fact, the guy that delivered it said, Oh man, when, whenever I have to deliver stuff from Grizzly, it's always a nightmare. I mean, it was easy because we have, my neighbors have a forklift and so my delivery was pretty easy and we just set it on the front of the shop and we took it in piecemeal and it's, it's massive stuff. I, I am not a Grizzly fan. Uh, no offense to anybody that, that is a Grizzly fan. I, I don't like their, I don't think their products are well made. They, they look different. The, the, the ones that they're making now look a little different. But both of these, I don't care for the construction. I'm more than happy to, to get rid of them. The, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping. Now, the, the bandsaw, I, I tried to price it out. It's very difficult since it's 10 years old. But it, compared to what is available today, like if you want an 18-inch Grizzly bandsaw today, it's $3,500. Yeah, yeah, it's not not cheap. I mean, the stroke sander I don't use very much. I bought it to do metal brushing, and I'm doing very little at this point. My customer is 
not doing as much of the brushed brass and aluminum and stainless materials. I may may get rid of it, but I'm not looking forward to getting it back outside because I literally brought it in in pieces, my daughter and I did, and then assembled it inside the shop. So it will likely have to be somewhat disassembled to go back out. Have have whoever's buying it disassemble it. Hey, PJ, got a great deal on a stroke sander. <laughs> <laughs> you and you and Danny, if you well, you and Danny are probably good friends now. If you want to just hop in your truck and uh, and drive on out, it's like four hundred and sixty three millimiles, I think. Does it have to come through a baler door? <laughs> oh no, no. In fact, uh, you know I'm in the habit of just cutting doors in the shop as needed. All right, I'll be right down. PJ and Danny are either best friends now, or they'll never speak to each other again. Only one of two outcomes is possible. Don't answer. Don't tell us what it, the answer is. <laughs> I already promised him an apple pie. I'm baking him an apple pie because I, I, oh, you know, he's. I, I apologized to him like 15 times. I'm like, dude, I had no idea this was going to be happening. He goes, well, we're here. <laughs> it's not like I'm walking home. Yeah, exactly. I did ask the guy about the Unisaw when I bought it. And I said, is, is there a story to the saw? And he said, yeah, my dad worked for, and he gave a name of this place, but basically it was like Con Edison. He worked for some power company. And he said they're in several states. So he worked for them for many, many years. And this Unisaw had been purchased by the company because they made cabinets in-house for the, for, I don't know, the offices or something. So this Unisaw was purchased from from, Del, from Delta Rockwell by this power company. And it was in this workshop. And his dad was the guy that was running it. Now, obviously, he wasn't the original person to be running it, but... He ran it for many, many years, and then he left. And when he was leaving, he took the saw with him. So basically, this is—it's a commercial product, but it's a single owner. Like it was—I know exactly where this thing was. It didn't have multiple owners and didn't get abused, which is most likely why it's in such great condition. So it's—I—I I, I try to find out the name of the company. Basically, it's like Coned. It was at Coned, and now I have it. Yeah, institutional stuff is good. Because, I mean, well, depending on, on the facility, but a lot of facilities really take, you know, they have a maintenance schedule, kind of call back to our maintenance episode. And so things are taken care of, or they have people on staff whose job it is to maintain things. Indeed they do. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Tom, what's your personal history with measuring? So for 41 years, my father worked at a place called Emory Winslow Scale Company. And uh, they weighed things. They were a measurement. They were in the measurement industry. And the coolest things they weighed, well, the coolest thing they weighed was Shamu. You remember Shamu? The killer whale. Yeah. Like the most famous whale that ever lived. At least for my generation. I don't think I can name another whale. What about Willie? Oh, Fudgy. Fudgy Fudgy the whale. <laughs> Is that Carvel? What about what about Willie? Willie? I think that was Shamu. Was it? I it what I mean, the whale's name wasn't Willie. What was the name of Willie in <laughs> It was Willie. <laughs> <laughs> what was the what was in the Willie. name of the actor that played <laughs> Willie? 
You can tell I was saying that sentence fresh off the top of my head and didn't know the ending. Nickname Willie. You're about to get a bunch of Goonies references. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I spelled Willie wrong. <laughs> Anyways, we'll get our intern to look that up, right? Yeah, what was his name? Jared? You're thinking of Willie Coyote. Wiley? Jerry. Yeah, Willie Coyote. Jerry is our intern. Jerry, yeah, get on that, Jerry. Let us know what the name of uh, Willie was. I'm not going to find out. Anyways, so if you look up how to weigh a whale, you will find an Emery Winslow scale. scale. Uh, that's redundant. But they they if you've ever seen the whales get called up on a platform and they put their their nose in the air and their tail in the air basically a big arc on their belly uh sometimes they do that in front of the crowd which i think they've stopped all that now which is good and bad for tons of reasons but there they would also do it onto the scale now before Emory Winslow Scale Company, sponsored, uh, created these scale platforms. They used to have to put whales in a sling, and it was a disastrous. Uh, it was a disastrous process that they only did very infrequently. And now they do them, like they they'll weigh the whales daily, and and the health of the whales improved dramatically. Did I just hear we're sponsored by a weight company? Huh? No, I don't. Who said that? Tanda. Yeah, the uh, in fact, uh, Tom and I had an interesting uh, interesting discussion because uh, he was uh, he was at his dad's shop, and I think they were they were getting rid of some old equipment and stuff, and so he was doing an Instagram story, and uh, I think he was also picking up some stuff. I think Jimmy and uh, and Brett were were coming by, or he was taking some stuff to him that you know was at his dad's shop. And I was like, oh, I'm familiar with Emory Winslow. And he was like, no, you're not. <laughs> no way. No, no way. No, no, no one's, at, no one's ever heard of Emory Winslow. And so it took me actually sending him a picture of me working on this machine in Japan. Um, but we, I worked for a company uh, for a while as an engineer, and we made these huge machines for loading scrap metal into sea containers. And we used Emory Winslow scale systems. And so it was kind of a small world thing, but uh, yeah, he he didn't even believe me when I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with with their stuff. We used it before." And he's like, "No, you're thinking of a different a different Emory Winslow or a different company." It's, it's such a relatively small company that there's just no way that I would ever run into anybody that knows who they are outside of my circle. It's just it was so bizarre to me, but you proved it immediately with your Instagram photo. Which yeah, just by chance that uh, I yeah. happened to have a a picture of myself like cleaning this machine which arrived in japan horribly rusted and i happened to be cleaning right around one of the uh, hydrostatic cells for the emory winslow scale system well, you know those you know those load cells weren't rusted at all you know they were not they were not and it looked really weird because it was like the whole machine after being on the deck of a ship for 14 days and yeah. the shrink wrap had blown off looked like it was 40 years old it uh-huh. it looked like it had been just sitting out unpainted in the weather for 40 years and those units were still like bright shiny stainless steel they they were surprisingly in good shape yeah they they make a they make a pretty superior product i mean a lot of people make superior products but i'm saying they make a high high quality product that yeah. just never fails like those whale those whale scales have been submerged in salt water for probably close to 25 years now no problem like no issues whatsoever with well i there's maintenance and calibration over the years but um they're solid they're solid devices 
don't feel bad, Tanda, about Tom not believing you. He doesn't believe anything that I say. So, I mean, I just... No, not a word. Especially what you're about to tell us about your personal history with it. Before I was born, there were rulers. I don't believe you. Oh, okay. No, uh, when I was growing up, uh, my dad was a draftsman before I was born. So there were a lot of rulers in the house. Uh, Coors or Budweiser? What? You said he was a draftsman. He only drank draft beer? Mm, I didn't ask him that. I'll have to double back. (laughs) But there was always drawing and supplies and stuff like that. There was always rulers, things like that. I always had some sort of measuring device within arm's length. Let's just put it that way. Ironically enough, I never used them for measuring. I always use them just for, like, hitting my brother or drawing a straight line. That's that's what rulers were for. I don't, I don't know. Nobody taught me different. But then you fast forward to about maybe two years ago, and I invented a thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's not really a brand new thing, but everybody was used, in, at least in the maker community, was big on clipping their tape measure onto their waist and then just pulling out what they needed measuring it and then letting it fly back to their waist and that was how the that's like the standard other than putting it in your pocket well that didn't work for me i didn't like it it was very awkward i don't know what about it was awkward for me but it just didn't work so i thought i need this to be like at my fingertips so i invented the quick measure system which is basically a I wanted to do it from the ground up, but I did a prototype, just a proof of concept, which was a leather band that went around your wrist, and then it had a plate on it, and it had a little assembly that I manufactured where you could put a modified tape measure onto it, and it would clip in with like a little peg and a magnet, so that you could you could take it off of there and use it as a regular tape measure, but you could also put it on there so it was right at your wrist, uh, think of like a Spider-Man web shooter. So from your from your wrist, you can just pull out the tape measure, measure whatever it is that you're going to need a measurement on, and then let it zip back into your wrist, and then have the pencil in your hand, then just mark it. You know, like it was like it was the easiest thing to me, based on the needs. And you could have, I think I had a, it was either a nine foot or a twelve foot tape measure in there was about the right size. I really hope that you coupled that with a fidget spinner, so that when you let it snap <laughs> back in, it just spins on your wrist for like five minutes. Well, version two was supposed to have a fidget spinner, but I just never got around to it. I I did a YouTube video on it, and it was thoroughly ignored. Nobody paid attention, and that kind of took the steam out of it for me. Um, but it's still. The one that I, I did make a, an error when I in, when I made it, I put it on my right. It was you have to orient it, you know, like if you're using an existing an existing tape measure, it has to be oriented so you can pull it out to one side. So I had put it on my right wrist, so it was oriented for the right wrist. So that means I had to pull it out with my left. But what I discovered quickly was I really needed it on my left hand because I'm right-handed. So I'm like, well. But the second version was actually supposed to be ambidextrous. I wanted to make it out of brass and just use like the innards of an existing tape measure and put it into a brass enclosure where each side of 
the brass enclosure could be flipped one way or the other depending on which wrist you had it on and it could still be removed and used as a tape measure. So it's still something I want to do, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Maybe a variant with like a bangle where it actually just like slips over your wrist and the tape wraps up inside of the bangle and then you just have one and then you could have one on each wrist. So you could just go whichever direction you want it to go. So that's actually something else that I've been working on. I, I have that, that bangle idea. I actually want to, I've been trying to work out the physics because I think it needs to be hinged. But basically, I want the entire bangle to be a coiled spring that you can just pull right off and measure. And I think that would be easier as far as like uh, ease of use. But the design of that is far more complicated. But yeah, that's that's another thing that I've been working on in the background. I guess that's it. All right, let's move on. Uh, yeah, no, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about my own measurement uh, history. If you didn't, I ask you. Well, I just kind of replied to Tom's. Um, oh, Tanda, tell us your personal history with measurement. Well, I think that I have memories of one of the uh, the wooden rules, the like, uh, you know, that is segmented and flips out. And I was more interested, I think, mechanically in the, the wooden rule than I was measuring things with it. My other early memory was we had a, I want to say it was a 100-foot Lufkin tape. And it was obviously something that was very expensive because every other tape measure was just a tape measure and you could use it. But that was off limits. It was one of those things as a kid, you just, you didn't use it unless, you know, you were measuring something with your dad. And and then you put it back in this, you know, special place in the toolbox. And uh, mm. so he must have must have paid a lot for it. And, my, and the other uh, memory that I have was, uh, and I think I've told the story that I went to work with my dad for years after my mom passed away. We, he would just kind of swing back by the house and I would hop in his truck and go to work with him. And one of the things that we did routinely was what was referred to as strapping tanks. But basically, you'd have a tank full of uh, oil out in the oil and gas industry, and you needed to calculate how much oil was in the tank. So you would take a tape measure with essentially a brass plumb bob on it and drop it down into the tank, put some kind of detergent on it, and then uh, drop it down into the tank and then reel it back up like you were fishing and look for the mark where the top of the oil was and then calculate how much oil was in, you know, this huge tank. And uh, and that was one of my jobs. And so that was my tape measure job. So exactly what, what kind of fish swam in the oil? Uh, it's kind of slimy fish. I don't know, you kind of reel it back in and I, I okay, I, I never caught anything. No. But, but I tried. <laughs> You know, it always came back, and a couple times I thought maybe there was a nibble, but no, I, I didn't catch anything. Well, how big were they? I don't know. It was hard to see them down in the tank, and, and you know, I could hear them flopping around in there, I think, sometimes, but it may have just been my imagination, and I'm sure they didn't taste good. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, fish are pretty oily, but um, maybe maybe you'll catch one someday. Could be, could be. I haven't I haven't fished in a, in a tank in a long time, but they do make fish tapes, and so I'm thinking about buying one of those. I probably just had the wrong tape. Now that I think about it, because this wasn't a fish tape. 
And I've seen them. I've seen them at the hardware stores. They have them advertised as fish tapes. And so I might get one of those and give it a try again. Well, that just sounds ridiculous. There's no way a fish could use a tape. They don't have hands. No, no, no. They don't need hands. They use it for recording. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy loops and stuff. Hello, this is Luke down at Johnson's Hardware. Do you have a geek in the family that's also a maker? Well, we have the perfect gift for them. Star Wars action figure tape measures. Available in Anakin Skywalker, Stormtrooper, and Darth Vader. So come on in to Johnson's Hardware for your holiday shopping. Metric not available. Imperial only. Cannot combine with other offers. For terms and conditions, please visit patreon.com slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. What skill goes well with measuring? Tanda? I obviously didn't prepare for this segment. What skill goes well with measuring? Two demerits. Okay, move on to Tom. Tom? (laughs) Oh, no, I got this. Uh, PJ, what skill goes well with measuring? That that was not why I threw it to you, Tom. You you were supposed to answer. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. I <laughs> Marking? Is marking a skill? Marking's a skill. Marking is an action. I don't know, is it a skill? No, it's a skill. Yeah. I just said it was, so you, it must you, be. You know, I think that uh you know, when you're measuring something and you you make a mark and you, you put the tip of your pen or pencil or marker or whatever down at the mark and then you drag it away and make a little arrow. I've taught three or four people in my life how to do that. And that's just one of those things that if you've never seen anyone do it or you've never done it, I don't know, you call it a skill, but uh, it's something that a lot of people new to laying out things, whether they're doing woodworking or metalworking, will just make a mark. And then you come back and you don't know which end of the mark is is your mark. I mean, I'm talking, you know, kids, you know, 10 or 12 year olds or my daughters or whatever. When they were really young, I think most adults have have seen that. Are you talking about some kind of special arrow or is this like just a normal you're pointing the way? No, just like when you, you know, you're measuring something that's, uh, you know, 10 feet, 8 inches, and you put your pencil down at 10 feet, 8 inches, and you drag it away, you know, and then you put it back down and drag it away again to make an arrow with a tip at 10 feet, 8 inches, instead of just making a mark, which may not be straight. And then you walk it over to the saw or take it somewhere else, and and then you may or may not uh, actually line it up with the correct end of the mark. Yeah, you basically make two marks from the, from the same point, point of the proper distance i've been doing it wrong all these years i put an x we know we've been watching that makes sense thought somebody was breathing on me no if you pull out your tape you you put your pencil on like 20 inches and you flick it away and it doesn't have to be straight and then you go back and you do another one in uh not perpendicular but a little bit in the other direction and where those two lines meet is the mark but by having two points of reference, you get a more accurate or uh, a mark that others could actually make sense of, too. 
Right. That's that's what I'm saying. X marks the spot. Everybody knows that. So that, that I use an X. Somehow I'm just going to argue that you're still wrong. Mm. I don't have a spot. I have a Roxy. <laughs> a Roxy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Your your dog. So, but now your dog just buries screwdrivers, right? That's that's what Oswald was saying. I think Oswald's dog buried screwdrivers and salami sandwiches and planes and probably joiners too. Sounds like it. He had some big dogs. Let me tell you, that man was impressive. I don't think we fully utilized him to his his potential. I th- I'm going to blame Tom on this. He didn't ask a single question. Yeah, no, I think we got everything we needed out of him, and I don't think we ever need to have him back on the show. But, you know, whatever you guys want to do, it's fine. It's fine. Well, then why the do we book him for next week? What's... I'm out next week. I uh, I got things to stuff to do. I know that's why we booked him. Yeah, until we get until we get sponsors and and Patreons and stuff coming in, we can't afford Oswald again. Right, but Tom isn't going to be here, so Oswald was going to fill in for him. No, oh, well, maybe as a co-host, but we're not paying his fee anymore. He got paid. Tanda, do you get paid? I didn't get paid. Oswald got paid. We paid him in salami. What? Okay. Oh. Yeah, but I like salami. Salami is one of the more expensive meats. <laughs> Well, that's what he wanted. What would you want me to give him, like bologna? I hope it came out of your end. That's all I'm saying. It did not come out of my <laughs> end at all. <laughs> I think now we're back to the butt shaving. I don't know. This took a weird turn. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah, way, way too many callbacks to the last show. If you haven't listened to the last show, now's the time. Don't. It's terrible. You shouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. Well, not now. Not now's the time. But like after you listen to this show. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. That's true. It's like a commercial that tells you to turn off your TV. Well, that was defeating. And PJ. Oh. What do you think goes well with measuring? Funny you should ask. <laughs> well, Tom thinks it's funny. I know. I was making all kinds of faces trying to get a reaction out of him to ask me again about what I thought would go well with measuring and instead he just started making like these i don't know puppy dog eyes at me i think that was a weird was very weird interaction and now i've completely (laughs) forgotten my answer thank you tom (laughs) you're oh you're so welcome anything i can do to help and assist and and aid in the success of this show is is my priority hey tom what do you think pj thinks about measuring and how it goes well together (laughs) Well, I think I was going to say marking, but Tom said that, so I don't, I don't know anymore. <laughs> that I do a perfect PJ. I don't know if you hear it, but. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm waiting for it. Go ahead, do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh, I can't do Oswald. Forget it. I quit. Uh, I catch myself doing that voice once in a while, though. It's weird. Which voice? Oswald. Oswald, he's got in my head, man. He got in my head so bad. He's he's like everybody's favorite old grandpa. <laughs> I just I just imagine like what his answer would be to this question. It's too bad we don't have him on right now. What you want to call him quick? It's it's eight thirty four at night. He's asleep. Oh yeah. Well, Matlock Matlock ends at seven, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's got to get up at like four o'clock in the morning to go, you know, like plow the fields and stuff. He's he's he's. I told you he was busy last time. So 
I'm seriously trying to remember what my answer was. I, I really did get distracted. I, can't, I cannot think of it. <laughs> let, let me guess. Design? <laughs> Not design. Or was it design? Maybe it was design. Oh, maybe it was design. <clears throat> I, I think my answer was design. <laughs> you you one-trick pony. <laughs> uh, come on. Like at least one and a half tricks. Fun fact about ponies and measuring. Do you know that they're measured by hands? Except I think the hands go the other way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to do it. I've never, I've barely ever touched a horse. What way? Like, what way would they go? Well, now you're just miming. This is, nobody can even see this. This is silly. It's hilarious is what it is. At least I'm entertained. He's not trapped in a box. He's measuring a horse. <laughs> that makes a, a ton more sense now. I'm beginning to, th- now I like uh. the mimes. So when I think about measuring and skills that would actually benefit from measuring, I think about architecture. If architects could not measure, we'd have some weird-looking buildings. That's all I got to say about that. This is true. Even weird-looking buildings that are done intentionally probably take uh, even more critical measurement. Yeah. So that's my answer, Tom. Not design. All right. Although although architects do design things. You basically said design. That's basically where we're at uh, well let's agree to disagree well there's a the well, golden ratio is an interesting measurement that you see in architecture what is it 1.6 something i i dare you to go up to an architect and call him a designer and see what he says well uh, get away from me <laughs> like i don't know any so <laughs> So it'd be really weird to just randomly go. Just look up a just look up some oh, architectural right. firm in the phone book and I was correct. One point six one eight. Yeah, like call up Stedman and Sons architecture and say, Yes, I'm looking for a designer. I'm like, who is this? PJ. My name is Tom. I live in Connecticut. Hey, that's not public information. It is now. Actually You mean people don't know your name is Tom? Yes. It's time for the dealer's tips and tricks. Since we had such a big segment here with the dealer's corner, we've decided to go with dealer's tips and tricks. We've all gotten deals with very interesting methods. And I think that our audience would benefit from some of those methods. Tom, you want to go first? I do most of my shopping on Facebook Marketplace. I find it to be super convenient. You also get to see some of the per- people's profiles, which makes it a little bit more comforting to like go meet up with these strangers. And I'm I'm on there a lot. And I would say, well, people say, how do you find these deals? I can't find a table saw for less than $1,000 any, anywhere. And the truth is, I just look all the time. That is the only, that's the only tip you need to find the deal you want. It's not the only tip you need to get the deal you want. But if you're just looking and you're first, you're going to get it. Uh, and and I most of the things I buy are posted. It tells you how long they've been posted. It'll, it tells you minutes. And I... I almost always get things within an hour of them posting because if they are four days old, five days old, six days old, they're probably not that good of a deal. Otherwise, someone would have bought it. Now, that's that's not true, Tom. So you got to be first. No, it's always true. I, whatever you say, I refute. 
What were you going to say? I got the Unisaw, and that was that had been posted, I think I got it like on the week. Like when I saw it, it was four days old, but when I actually picked it up, it had been up for a week. Was it still fresh when you picked it up? I mean, the last thing you want is a rotten Unisaw. It, it, was, it was a little moldy, I'll be honest. From 1947? Yeah. Yeah. You better eat it quick. Yeah. Yeah, but your deal was because it was um it wasn't worth the listed price if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> it was worth um you you made a deal out of that, which is a whole other tip and trick. I, I did make a deal, but I I would argue that a Unisaw is worth four hundred fifty dollars. I think that's a decent price. I mean, obviously, I don't want to pay that much, but I don't think that's out of um, I don't think that's out of the scope for a Unisaw. Uh. Yes, but four fifty is not the deal. You and I, we wouldn't label that as a steal. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. Right, that's what I'm saying. So four fifty to even eight hundred, maybe that thing's going to be on the market for a while mm-hmm. to find the right buyer. Mm-hmm. If it was two or two fifty, you need to be first. If you're not first, that thing's gone. Oh, 100%. Yeah, if that was $200, yeah. it would have been gone in a day, for sure. Right, that's what I'm getting at. Yep. So, in, inadvertently, what the two of us just talked about with me creating the deal, that is another tip. If you see something that you want, and it doesn't meet up to your deal standards, make it your deal standards. You know, like I said, I asked this guy if he was willing to barter. He didn't say no. He said, yes, I am. What do you have? But then I didn't have anything he wanted until I found something he wanted. So there's that's not the only way to get something. There's, there's a lot of different ways. Like sometimes if you talk with people, they, they might need something else. Maybe they don't need um, something that you have. Maybe they need something that somebody you know has. Or they might need something else. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different ways to get the deal if you're a little savvy. That's all I'll say for now. For sure. Tanda? Yeah, like the guy that uh, you met uh, this last week who was savvy enough to trade his dad's saw for something else. You know, that's, that's a good way to do it. Just sell somebody else's tools. Mm-hmm. Trade them off for something else and then just happen by and... Hope that they don't uh, catch you. No, I think that the a good trick, or not a trick, but a good tip is just there will be another deal. Yes. I think a lot of people, when they're looking for something, they're like, oh, I missed that. You know, it was somebody else got there before me. And if it's if it's a tool, I mean, unless it's incredibly rare, there will be another one. So, you know, don't don't give up looking. I mean, I looked and looked for my mill and my lathe both, and just kept going back to all the usual places. I don't. I tend not to do uh, Facebook or Craigslist. We have a local auction house, a couple of them that run catalogs on a regular basis, and they move a lot of machinery. And I usually go out to those, and they're both online now, so you don't have to go and preview the materials and stuff like you used to. You used to have to go to the auction house the day before and look at everything, and now you can see pictures of everything online. The downside of that is all the auctions are online now. So you have a lot more competition than just happening by on the day of the auction. 
but there'll always be a always be that deal again. So don't don't feel like you missed it and stop looking. That goes back to my motto with auctions, which is there's always more. That I've said that I don't know how many times to many, many people, which is why I don't overpay for things when I go to an auction. If I see something I want and somebody else takes it, I'll find it at the next auction. It's not a big deal. Now, the tip that was hidden in the dealer's corner, if you heard it, was this guy where I got the deal had listed bad pictures and no information about the tools. The way that I picked up on it was I recognized the color of the tools. Now, there's other tools that are green, but grizzly green has a certain kind of a tint to it. It's not quite the same as the central machinery green. It's definitely not like Ryobi green. And uh, there's another green tool company. I think it's Buffalo. Buffalo also makes green tools. They're older, but they are out there. So you need to be able to read between the lines. If someone has a poor description and poor pictures of something, you need to know what you're looking for. And I'd seen enough bandsaws and jointers to know what I needed to know. So my, my tip is look for things that are not obviously advertised. If this guy had put up grizzly 18-inch bandsaw and 8-inch jointer for $150, it, it would have been gone instantly. But I think I actually caught it when it was up for about two hours. So I was still pretty, pretty early on. But all of his pictures were terrible. And it, it, all it said in the description was workshop tools for sale. Like there was, there was nothing, no grizzly. No, I mean, you could tell the craftsmen were craftsmen because you saw it. But everything else was just, there was no way to know unless you knew what the tools were. I find a lot of deals that way. Stuff that is just not, it's not uh, overt. That's the word that I'd use. So look for hidden things in pictures. And the other thing is, if someone has a picture of something up and they're selling it, and then you see something behind that thing, ask about that. You know, oh, hey, I noticed you've got a, a, a thickness planer behind the jointer. Is that for sale also? I saw a listing not long ago of a scroll saw, and the guy made the grave mistake of putting the scroll saw on top of an anvil and taking a picture I guarantee he got zero requests about the scroll saw and a million about the anvil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Oddly enough, I, I just had about four or five scroll saws go, like, right on by. I didn't pick them up because I just I don't pick up scroll saws. And they were all, like, 20 to $40, which was not bad. All deltas. And then I had someone yesterday contact me and say, I'm looking for a scroll saw. And then I thought, I should have bought one of those. <laughs> the deal that never was. Yeah, one of the other things, and I certainly don't do this as much as you guys, but uh, another another tip for an auction is that usually there are people, especially if it's like a, an auction where they're auctioning off a manufacturing facility or, you know, it's like an on-site auction where they're just clearing out a building. Usually there's someone that used to work there or still works there or was an ex-employee or something. And if you just listen to the conversations, you can usually find them. And they have some insight into the stuff that's being sold. I know 
there were a lot of lots at an auction I was at of, uh, of scales for weighing epoxies and, and stuff, like industrial scales for weighing uh, two-component epoxies and stuff. And they had like seven of them, seven different lots. But I happened to find this guy that used to work there. And so I just asked him, you know, are any of these any good? And he was like, oh, these three are, they are broken. The other two there haven't been calibrated in like 20 years. But these two were the ones that we were using just a month ago. And so those were the only ones that I bid on. And it, and it just turned out that the auctioneer kind of moved through them and those were late in the, in the auction. Perfect. And other people had already bought all of the ones that weren't working or hadn't been calibrated and, mm-hmm. you know, had their scale and had gone off with it before he got to them. So finding, finding someone that's kind of an insider is, uh, is useful when you're at an auction. So that brings up two good tips. One is the later you go in the auction, the better your chances on getting a deal because a lot of people have spent their money early on or people have left because they they either lost interest or they didn't want to wait. So the closer you are to the end of an auction, the better your chances of a deal. Other thing, which is a great auction tip, is if you are at a live auction, you got to have nerves of steel. An auctioneer will start up high, and then they will keep dropping the price until someone bids. If you get nervous and bid early, you might end up paying double or triple for something. A lot of times if I'm someplace and I look around and I see zero interest in whatever is up there, I will wait for it to go down to a dollar and then I'll put up my hand and I get stuff for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars all the time because I waited and I didn't jump in when it was twenty dollars or ten dollars. So you got to learn to wait. It's very, very important. Come back next time. Maybe we'll have some more for you. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, any final thoughts on measuring? I do. Uh, Jared got back to us. I believe it's pronounced Kiko, K-E-I-K-O. Kiko the killer whale. He uh, sadly died of pneumonia in 2003, December 12, 2003. And he was actually freed, like the character he portrayed Free Willy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, okay. First off, <clears throat> he got pneumonia because he was wet all the time? That, that's my first question. I, <laughs> what? I I am not a doctor, but uh, yeah. Okay, so then my second question is, if he was freed, meaning they released him, how do they know he died of pneumonia? Oh, they tracked him. Apparently he spent, he like made his way to Norway. I can't remember. I read it earlier when I wasn't paying attention to what you guys were talking about. Uh, I think somewhere in Norway, and like tourists would just go to the ocean and ride this whale because, <laughs> I, like, I have to know more. I didn't have time to know more. But, like, imagine going to the ocean and just, like, jumping on a whale. How awesome is that? You have got to be kidding me. Kiko died of pneumonia that was given to him by a Norwegian whale rider. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, the Norwegians uh... gave him pneumonia. Yeah, it was Norway. While swimming in the fjords on December 12 December 2003, about 27 years ago, of age, of age, pneumonia was determined as his probable cause of death. Wait, doesn't the Garage Avenger live in Norway? The what? The Garage Avenger. He has a yeah. podcast. I don't follow him. Oh. He's got a podcast called Make Ideas Reality. 
Isn't everything free in Norway? Why yeah. is he Justin shopping for deals? Why? Uh, I I don't I don't know. I, I really have I, I can't answer that. Maybe, maybe it's like the Avengers movies, but just in his garage. He's from yeah. Australia. I wonder if he rode a whale to Norway. That would explain it. Oh yeah, if you rode a whale all the way from Australia to Norway, you'd definitely be avenging something. Yeah, and the whale would probably have pneumonia. Oh yeah, because it's warmer waters down in Australia. Norway is cold. Oh yeah. Yeah, you swim from warm waters of Australia all the way to Norway, you're going to get some condensation in your blowhole. I I can't comment on that. Tanda, did you have any uh, thoughts, final thoughts, short and sweet? I don't have anything today other than uh, I try to say measure correctly. You've succeeded. That is how you say it. Rather than saying measure, which is where I'm from. Measure. Yeah. But that that's better than I I heard old Oswald say, "How long's that?" That's or I, I don't I can't do his voice, but yeah, that's that's about what it sounded like. Yeah. So you, you say it way better than he does. Now, no, I've ha- I've had people make fun of me for uh, not not saying the word correctly. Well, those people were just miscreants. That's true. They they probably thought my name was Hedrick as well. Again, miscreants. They're probably from Slytherin. Could be. Could be. <sighs> Now, as for me, I don't really have anything. I don't know. It's bizarre. I think I talk too much. I'm all talked out. I got nothing. Let's call it a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, Son of the Junk Hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Now it's time for some functional Frankensteining. So as you can imagine, with the addition of a unisaw and an 18-inch grizzly bandsaw in my workshop, it's rather crowded with the other five bandsaws that I have. I have not a lot of space. Plus I had the electrolysis tank outside, which I had to bring inside because it started to freeze out. And I need to be able to move that tank around. I want to fill it up with tools. I want to be able to move it, not keep it in the same spot in the dungeon. And I had picked up this office chair bottom off of the street, just one of those standard five-armed, you know, double-wheeled bases. And I'd already made a dolly out of one of them, which is what the electrolysis uh, tank had been sitting on outside. But that dolly was like a platform. It was a full piece of plywood, and it was big, and I wanted something... Uh, more smaller for, you know, getting around the dungeon because it's kind of tight. So I took this new base, and if you've ever looked at those, they're not flat. They're actually kind of shaped like an F-hole in a violin. They're a little curvy. So I I wanted to make it to where I could... I wanted a flat surface. That's basically all I'm trying to say. I, I needed it to be flat so that when I put the tank on there, it didn't just, like, roll off to the side and dump out all the tools. What I did was I took a level and I clamped it to the middle so that I had a baseline of where, where quote-unquote, flat should be. 
And in order to fill that space, I took a piece of cardboard and I put it behind like the leg and the level and I traced it out with a pencil roughly. First time didn't work. Second time was a lot better. But the second time what I did was I cut it bigger than the pencil line and then I just kept fitting it and shaving off a little and fitting it again and then I, I got it roughly to the right size and shape. And then I transferred that onto a scrap piece of poplar pallet wood runner, which is, I don't know, they're about one inch wide. Cut that out on the bandsaw, used three screws per piece to screw it to the, the actual base. And then I had taken apart a treadmill about maybe three years ago because I wanted to use the parts to make a 2x72 belt sander because a treadmill has speed control and a motor and lots of metal parts. And I still want to do that, but I have the treadmill track like rolled up with a whole bunch of other sort of, you know, rolly things like rubber mats and stuff like that. So I took that out and I cut that up into strips and then I bent those strips over the wood so that it had like a grippy surface. And then I just used two screws in the back and two screws near the, the center to kind of hold it in place. And now the whole thing is flat and grippy. So that's that's how I modified this thing to make it work for holding up this 55-gallon drum. Now that I say it, it doesn't sound very sexy. I don't know what I, was, I, was I, was, I was waiting for the punchline. I, I, you know, I had a couple friends named Flat and Grippy growing up. Do tell. No, I didn't, I didn't really. <laughs> you didn't really? That, that was, I, I was hoping that it was going to be better than my story. Yeah, no, flat, flat and grippy. I mean, flat, you know, flat had a flat top, of course, and uh, and grippy. You called him grippy because, well, he was always picking his nose, and and sometimes he'd he'd stick to things. Oh, I thought he was a little handsy with the ladies. Oh no, no, no. The ladies stayed far, far away from him. Uh, you know, they they'd laugh and point if he was like stuck on the side of a wall or something. But uh, uh, well, I mean, I'd probably laugh and point if somebody was covered in boogers, also. Yeah, well, and he would have pointed, but of course his arms were stuck to the wall, and somehow Flat seemed to get along because, uh, you know, he was made fun of as well. So, Flat and Grippy were a pair. What the f*** was this kid eating that he was stuck to a wall? I mean, I mean, I know they're sticky, but... Oh, no, no, they they launched him up onto the wall. You know oh. how kids are. Yeah. Oh, no, the, 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 they sound very mean down there in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah, they were, uh, they... They they loaded him up in the trebuchet and launched him at the wall and the the first time he just spun around he was stuck to the sling of the trebuchet but then they oiled it up and had another go at it and got him stuck up on the wall. I, I, I gotta say, um, if you get launched out of a trebuchet into a wall, I I think you're gonna stick there whether you're covered in boogers or not. Mm. It's probably better if you are covered in boogers because the wind resistance will slow you down a bit and cushion the... <laughs> what is the terminal velocity velocity what of a booger? Is, exactly. What is the wind resistance of boogers? That's... Googling it now. Well, it's not just boogers. It's like, you know, like not a trebuchet full of boogers. It's a trebuchet full of an eight-year-old covered in boogers. Uh, for some reason, I'm getting this image of like Chewbacca. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Much smaller than Chewbacca. He was more the size of an Ewok. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, if you just imagine an Ewok made out of boogers, I don't know. That's 
So it's horrific. Yeah, that's kind of, well, <laughs> you know, surprisingly. I mean, he he went over to, to uh, a friend's house that had a dog and, and came out looking quite a bit like an Ewok, actually. Didn't even recognize him for a while. So Tom looks like he just Googled Booger Ewok because he's got this weird expression on his face. Uh, close. <clears throat> Google does not know the terminal velocity of a booger, booger which I find interesting. Then we we need to see that as a shortcoming. Who do we contact to get that fixed? I think we should start a Wikipedia page. Let me scroll to the bottom of Google and click that contact button and see if anybody's there. Hey Google. <laughs> well, this segment has gone completely off the rails. We started out with the dolly modification, and we're talking about dying boogers. So I think we're done. I am putting three robots together. Oh, you have it. You have a a modification you want to talk about. Well, it's not so much a modification as just like three dissimilar robots that have to talk to one another. And that would be kind of just par for the course. But you know how you call a machine by the by its name? Like you've talked a lot about a Unisaw mm-hmm. or the Delta or, you know, you're going to buy a, a Toyota or something. You just kind of name things by the company that makes them. Sure. And I'm writing a lot of software to go with this and making up names for, you know, which thing is talking to the one thing talking to the other. And one of these is made by a company called Fishman. And the other robot is made by a company called Fisnar. And so it's it's kind of driving me nuts because I'm trying to look through all of my documentation. And I have this line is connects the Fisnar IO line seven to the Fishman line eight. And it's uh, and I confusing myself fishman and fisnar sounds like a terrible 80s sitcom yeah i mean and i'm afraid that when i do get them mated together that i'm gonna have like little fishnars i'm i'm almost 100 percent positive that fishnar is the avenger of atlantis could be it does sound like uh you know like some kind of uh you know medieval name of a beast i think you know i'm going in to battle the fisnar yeah yeah him too yeah. I think I put the two names together. I said Fishnar. I think once I get them wrapped together, connected together, I I think that we could have Fishnars. Make sure you need, if you're going to connect them together, use use that paper that they have at the at the butcher. That'll that'll keep them fresh. Okay. I'll pick some up. Yes. Yes. It was delicious. Let's do it again. Mm. Mm. 